Hello and welcome to the SAE Tomorrow Today podcast. I'm your host, Grayson Brulte. On today's podcast, we're honored to have Tom Weiss, Chairman, President, and CEO of Arion. Welcome to the podcast, Tom. Uh, thank you. Thanks for having me. Great to be here today. Super excited. I've been looking forward to talking all about supersonic jets with you, so I'm really looking forward to this. It has been said as a child, you watched every Apollo rocket. What sparked your interest in rockets and space at such a young age? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, thanks for going back that far. <laughs> um, you know, it was, it was uh, you, you think back, it was just a sense of adventure. Um, incredible new technology, powerful machines, incredible, courageous people. Um, and it set for me sort of this uh, I, lifelong sense of learning, desire to learn. Uh, and be courageous, take risks, do things that can benefit humanity. And uh, I did watch every one of those those launches. Um, my grandfather had a little nine-inch black and white television in the living room, and I was plastered to it uh, up front as close as I could get to the screen. And I was just uh, amazed by all of it. You think back then it was the sense of getting to the moon, and we were just beginning to think about, wow, think about if we could get to Mars. It was a, It was a an incredible time in engineering, but it was really sort of this coming together as humanity, thinking about this was to benefit all of mankind, all, all, of, all of humankind. And um, innovation was now at the point in which we could get off of our planet and visit you know, other moons and planets and, uh, and maybe even someday leave our solar system. That's really interesting because you talk about a lifelong journey and you've went from the B-2 stealth bomber to the supersonic jets and you've sure had one awesome journey in aerospace. What were some of the highlights and lessons that you've learned throughout your career on this incredible journey? Well, I'd say the number one thing is surround yourself with people that will challenge yourself, uh, people that are courageous and collaborative and, and, and ones that, uh, again, uh, will challenge the way you think about things. Uh, the other thing I've learned is there's no such thing as impossible. Uh, everything is possible. It just takes, you have to find the solution. Uh, I've always said it's, it's in there somewhere. You just have to find it. And, uh, you know, I, I get a sense that I've always loved to run towards the revolution, not away from it. Uh, that's where the excitement is, the innovation is, the ability to change the way that people think about things. And, We've done some pretty interesting things in my career at Northrop. It wasn't just building airplanes that had the ability to to not only harness, uh, but to just to, the ability to change the electromagnetics around the airplane. Uh, autonomous systems that were on the verge of really having a sense of understanding what the mission was, not just you know responding to software code. Uh, you know, what was interesting is that we had built the fastest chip at Northrop, uh, a chip that rented a terahertz. But I got to tell you, the thing that was the most incredible to me of all the things I had a chance to work on, it was the James Webb Space Telescope, a telescope that will now launch in uh, uh, just a, you know, a year and a half or so. And uh, we'll place it a million miles away from Earth, and it'll literally look back to the very beginnings of our universe and uh, largely believe it'll be the first uh, space telescope that could find the indications of life beyond Earth. And uh, it brings me back to your first question about watching the Apollo launches and thinking about getting to the moon. And, and now we're actually thinking about the ability 
the first time in humanity's uh, course of, of, of exploration, potentially finding life beyond Earth. It's pretty amazing. That is amazing. And how long will it take that telescope to get out there before it can start sending back data? Uh, well, you know, it it, uh, it probably takes uh, obviously several months to get out, uh, get set up, uh, go through all of its checks, uh, do all of its deployments, um, and then start sending bit data back. So by the time it launches, it'll be several months before it sends useful information. But just think about, you know, several months versus the lifelong of learning that will come from that telescope. The lifelong learning is what fascinates me. So I, I have a six-year-old daughter, and, and you fast forward to when, when she's in high school. Being able to see images from that telescope, it completely changes that science curriculum from what it is today. Well, you know, think I had, I had a chance to, to meet Stephen Hawking once. He came up to Palmdale, and um, we, we did have a chance to talk about time and the beginnings of the universe. And, uh, you know, the way that we think about the Big Bang today is, is a theory. It's, uh, it's theory that is well-founded. Uh, it's based in, and obviously grounded in physics and understanding, but it is a theory. And uh, I think James Webb Space Telescope is either going to help uh, firm up that theory or change the way we think about the beginnings of the universe. And today we know quite a bit. Not only are we expanding as a universe, but we're accelerating in our expansion. And so uh, it just, there's just fascinating. And the James Webb will be at the heart of that. The other thing is, think about exoplanet research. Uh, Dr. Sarah Siegler at MIT does some fascinating research in this area. And, um, you know, is it possible that our generation will be the one that finds life beyond Earth? It's possible with things like James Webb and the thing that the inventions that will follow James Webb. And what do you think happens if we do find life outside of Earth? I'll, I'll be excited. Um, I'm sure uh, <laughs> if you ever read Carl Sagan's book, you know we'll we'll all wonder what that means. Is it is it civilizations more advanced than our own? Is it you know what you know all kinds of questions uh, will come as a as a result of that. Um, but I I think it answers the basic questions that I've always had, which is, you know, are we alone? And I and just statistically, if you think about the number of opportunities, the number of planets, the number of suns, uh, if you bring into the fact that maybe it's not carbon-based life, it's you know, other forms of, 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 of life. Um, to me, it, it is if when uh, we find life, I think it's just, it means we're not alone. It ends this, what, nearly 14 billion years of cosmic human isolation. Uh, to me, it's exciting. What's also exciting is that with with Arion, you want to connect. You want to connect people, and you want to connect them really fast here on Earth. But eventually, maybe in the in the future, uh, you could, could go into space. How do you see supersonic jets advancing um, over the years as you start to roll out and develop these jets? Yeah, I you know we're starting with a with our first initial product offering. We're very proud of uh, called the AS two. Uh, an aircraft that flies at a global range at a thousand miles an hour. Um, and I think it has the ability to bring humanity closer. I think as, as we evolve uh, beyond just AS2, our, our purpose as a company is to be able to connect any two points on our planet within three hours. Uh, we deeply believe that connections are actually more important now than ever. Um, and and humans have a need to connect. 
Uh, we, we fall in love by connecting. We learn, we explore. Uh, we find things not only about the other person, but we find things about ourselves. And, and I don't think you can be empathetic through Twitter. You can't en enjoy climbing Mount Everest through Skype. Uh, I think you have to be there. Um, and what we want to do is to connect our world in more compassionate, empathetic ways but without having to spend so much time actually in an airplane. You know, get to your destination, enjoy your destination, and learn and love from it. Because you're right about experiences, and I really like the mention when you talked about Everest. It's climbing Mount Everest and going through the, the torture and to, to have that joy of gauging the top versus watching somebody do it on Skype is two completely different things. Absolutely. I mean, imagine sitting at base camp with your fellow climbers. Even if you don't get all the way up to the top, just the experience in life um, by being there, being involved, uh, building that compassion and empathy with people who've been there with you. Uh, I, I just think it's hugely important, and we want to be part of that. We are, we are a high-tech company focused on mobility, uh, but the, the, the difference is that we deeply believe in connecting humanity in new ways. So your, your mission is brilliant, and I'm really liking the theme I'm picking up here of lifelong learning through, through experiences, but I want to go back in time here a little bit. On January 21st, 1976, the first Concorde flight with commercial passengers took off from London's Heathrow Airport and the Orly Airport outside of Paris. That was 44 years ago, and today there are no longer Concorde flights and commercial flights that are flying at the same speed of the Boeing 707, which was introduced in 1958. Why did all that innovation stop until Ariane came and, and put a flag in the ground? Why was there not this innovation to connect people to move faster, especially as the whole uh, business took off in globalization? It's a fascinating question, one I've thought about for, oh, at least 30 years. Um, you know, if you, if you think about the amount of innovation and in coming through the 50s and the 60s, whether it was in space travel uh, or whether it was advanced aerodynamics, and as you mentioned, there's, there's only been three countries and two projects in the civil aerospace side that have ever gone supersonic. It was the TU-144 of the Soviet Union and obviously the Concorde with the French and the English. And uh, I always say the Concorde was a, a noble experiment, uh, a wonderful, beautiful engineering design. But the Concorde was also um, extremely loud and, and, the, and the aircraft was too short on range. You know, with four uh, afterburning Olympus engines, it was also too hostile to our environment. And so, uh, Innovation didn't continue on speed. It just stopped in, in, in the civil side. And um, I, I think it takes courageous innovators who believe in things that, uh, that all is possible. It just takes hard work and perseverance. And that's what Ariane has been about. You know, it's more fascinating to think about, you know, the time from the right flyer uh, to the, the time that we got to the jet age. That time frame is now shorter than it's been between the jet age and now. That's an interesting comparison when you think about it. Um, in, in a commercial side, as you mentioned, we're flying slower today than we did at, on the 707 at the start of jet age. And Ariane wants to change all of that. We think uh, we clearly have the technologies now. We clearly have the approach both not only on the aerodynamic side, but on the energy side. 
And uh, it's important not just to fly fast, uh, but Arion is committed to do it in a way that is also environmentally responsible. And those things are hard and they've taken time. Um, but they also take an enormous amount of courage and perseverance. At Arion, we've, um, you know, we've been around for quite some time and we've learned a lot. We've had millions of different designs, design elements, airplanes. Uh, we, we clearly have had our uh, number of what we call lessons learned. People, some people might call them failures. We call them opportunities to learn. In fact, uh, I've always been a believer you learn more from the things that fail than you do from the things that succeed. And uh, I, we're, we're quite proud of the fact that we've done a lot of learning because it, we've, we've had breakthroughs in uh, we're leading in acoustics, we're leading in, in, in advanced aerodynamics, we're leading in environmentals. Um, and it's the combination of all of that has now led us to a revolution in mobility, and it starts with the AS2. Can you talk about the environmental breakthroughs and the acoustic breakthroughs that you've had? So the planes are they're cleaner, and are they also quieter as well for the passengers that are inside of your aircraft? Oh, yeah. So the uh, good point you bring up on, on acoustics, let's go on that one first, because there's two sides of acoustics. There's the landing takeoff noise and I'll call the external noises. So landing takeoff noise. Uh, and then there's also the, the boom noise when you're flying supersonically. And then there's what does it sound like inside the cabin? Um, flying inside the AS2, uh, we actually call it whisper quiet. That's the name we give to our, our, our cabin. And it has the lowest sound signature of any jet that's ever come before it, uh, where we are at maximum 47 dB inside the cabin at flying at supersonic speeds. Outside is, is where we've had a number of breakthroughs. It's, it's probably been our single hardest challenge is to design the airplane to meet the most stringent landing takeoff noise. And again, if you recall back to the Concorde, People loved flying on the Concorde, but those that were around airports that it flew into didn't like it so much. And so our airplane, we've designed our airplane to be extremely quiet, to, be, to, to think about not only the engine noises, but the integration of the engine to the airframe. And so we, we are uh, committed to design the airplane to meet the most stringent landing takeoff noise in the world. Um, the other piece I talked about was the sonic boom. You know, we've known about this atmospheric phenomenology since we broke the sound barrier. It's called Mach cutoff. And there were times when the airplane, you know, an aircraft was flying supersonically, depending on what its uh, speed was, what the, what the temperature gradients of the winds were, uh, what the temperature of the winds were, that the airplane flying supersonically, you wouldn't hear the boom on the ground. Uh, and, and it's been known about. NASA has studied it. Uh, for decades, we're actually the first company to ever figure out how to engineer it in real time onto an airplane. And part of that was stepping back and thinking about the convergence of a number of technologies, not just the airplane itself, but now the convergence of small satellites that are on uh, low Earth orbit, that are, that are sensing the atmospherics of anywhere in, on the planet at great speed and depth. And we harness these two things. So now we can fly the airplane. We know what the temperature of the air column in front of us is at, at air, you know, all the way through the column. 
we understand what the vertical and horizontal winds are inside that air column. And we can adjust the speed of the airplane somewhere between 1.1 and slightly above 1.2 Mach. And what happens is the boom that's created off the airplane actually refracts off of a dense layer of the atmosphere called the caustic layer and just goes back up. And so this will be the first airplane in history flying supersonically, reliably, where the boom at those speeds never actually hits the ground. We call it boomless cruise. Now, once we get back over water, uh, then we go back up to 1.4 Mach. Uh, but it is, it is the, the way we thought about holistically about acoustics. Uh, this company really, really understands that art form. If I'm an individual, say I'm at the park and I'm playing basketball or I'm playing baseball and your plane's traveling above, I'll never hear that boom down there on the ground? You'll never hear it. If, if we're flying within boomless cruise over land, uh, you won't hear the airplane above you. At some point, will you be able to go from New York to L.A. From, with boomless cruise? Absolutely. Uh, we're working with the FAA now. Uh, it, this December, uh, it'll be the uh, first request of information from industry that the FAA has at relooking at the permissibility of supersonic flight over the U.S. again. And uh, they uh, have this request every two years. Uh, and at some point, they'll make a decision uh, if they have technology that's proven and is highly reliable. Uh, I think that will influence uh, their, their, their views on the permissibility in the future. Uh, AS2s will have this ability built into it from day one. We're designing that into it now. It'll be part of our deliveries when we start delivering the airplane. Um, if, if the FA hasn't gotten to the point where they, they have approved permissibility of supersonic flight over the U.S., then we just fly at 0.95 across the United States. But in boomless cruise, we actually save an additional hour between Los Angeles uh, and, uh, and uh, New York in boomless cruise. Yeah, it's, it's phenomenal. Wow. It, it changes the game for, for business. It really, you, it really changes the game. It, it really does. So you cannot go over Mach 1 now because that's, that's an FAA regulation. Is that correct? Yeah, it, there's, a, there's a speed limit in the United States. Uh, you just cannot exceed Mach 1. Now, when, you, um, when a customer or a client of yours takes possession of your jet, do they have, does the pilot have to go through certain types of training in addition to being a pilot? Could you kind of talk about how that would work? Yeah, so we, we are already now uh, working on our supersonic flight training academy. Uh, we have yet to announce a partner for that. Uh, and there will be significant training uh, associated with flying this airplane. One is we want to ensure that uh, the, no, the pilots that fly this airplane are thoroughly trained, ensuring that our customers understand that, that our, our number one focus is on safety. And so we'll have a dedicated, uh, what I'll call a cream of the crop approach to ensuring that pilots that fly AS2s really have gone through significant training and gone through a, a challenging set of coursework. Uh, and uh, if they graduate, uh, clearly they're at the top of their class in terms of ability to fly, uh, not only uh, private aviation, but supersonic private aviation. It seems like if a pilot graduates from your class, it's a massive sense of pride, and then they're the coolest pilot among all their pilot friends. Uh, I think so. Uh, in fact, they'll have a, I'm sure that many of them will be, uh, have former military experience. Um, and uh, it'll be sort of the top gun of aviation, general aviation. 
Can you expand and elaborate on the boomless cruise technology that you were discussing earlier? Yeah. So as I, as I mentioned, um, it really boomless cruise is our engineering approach to allowing the aircraft to fly within this atmospheric phenomenology. Uh, again, that's called mock cutoff. And while you're flying inside of this mock cutoff region, you can, as long as you understand the wind temperatures or the wind of horizontal and vertical winds and temperature gradients within the column, then as you fly through that air and you adjust the speed, you can actually get the boom to, ref to uh, refract off of this layer of dense uh, layer called caustic layer. And what happens is the boom just basically bounces back into the atmosphere. And so we harness that on the airplane. You only fly that inside of autopilot, uh, again, just to make sure that uh, it's it's highly reliable. And when you mention autopilot, is that like the traditional autopilot that you would see on a big commercial um, jet today, or is there a new advanced autopilot that you've uh, invented? Um, it, it will have a lot of, of new advancements. We um, haven't disclose them all, but clearly there will be a lot of uh, features that help the pilot clearly auto land. If the airplane uh, uh, gets into certain flight profiles or the, or the pilots uh, need additional functionality while they're flying, the airplane's gonna be very sophisticated in the ability to get home. One of the things that my background uh, is, we've done at Northrop a lot of fully autonomous uh, aircraft very sophisticated systems. A um, couple of the programs that we were quite proud of, I'm quite proud of to this day, is Global Hawk and Triton. These airplanes, you know, they fly at 65,000 feet. Uh, they've got a wingspan of 737. They fly for you know, 30 to 36 hours. Uh, and again, they're completely autonomous and they're flying globally around the world. Uh, bringing that sort of thought process, not that we would ever have the airplane with passengers in, not flown by pilots, but that kind of ability to have the next generation of autopilot based upon the software and the systems and the, the autonomous approach that we've all learned coming out of the military. And your approach is clearly, clearly resonating. Multiple business outlets, including CNBC, have reported a multi-billion dollar backlog for the AS2 jet jet. When do you start expecting to shipping uh, that to your customers? So we, uh, we start building Aircraft One in 2023, enter it into flight test in 25, and uh, it, you know, we'll go through a, uh, a two-year flight test program and certification program, and we start delivering to customers in uh, 2027. And how much with the whole ESG boom is the, is the biofuel, that whole, the whole uh, your approach to environmental, how is that resonating with your customers? Is that really increasing and driving your sales? It's important. It's it's important to uh, first of all, it's, it's important to our company. Uh, this is deeply ingrained in the ethos and culture of our company to make sure that we build things, we generate technology that's kind to of our planet. So it starts there, and it's very, it's resonated with our investors. It's resonated with our customers, and probably the most important, it's resonating uh, with the public and humanity. We have to do things in, in the world today that takes our environment, our climate, uh, our, our earth into clearly, it's got to take it into consideration. So the way we're thinking about, it, obviously it's, it's, it starts with aerodynamically, 
a very aerodynamically clean, uh, very advanced airplane. The way we designed our engine with GE, the Affinity engine, um, it is extremely efficient uh, in the way that we, uh, the way that it, it takes in fuel and burns fuel. Um, but we've also designed the entire airplane, the fuel system, APU, engine, to accept for the first time, designed from scratch, to accept 100% synthetic fuels. And I like to think of these fuels as, as engineered hydrocarbon chains, uh, where instead of using fossil-based fuels that, that, that burn dirty, uh, put enormous amount of CO2 in the air, clearly we're looking at three technologies. One, as you mentioned, is biofuels that obviously come from biomass feedstocks, uh, municipal solid wastes, uh, and direct air capture, where you actually directly capture CO2 right out of the air, mix it with hydrogen that comes from the electrolysis of water, run the entire plant on green energy, convert that to Syncrude, and then turn it into certified Jet A fuel, again, that's made right out of CO2 from the air. The advantage of this approach is that all of the carbon you put into the air by burning that fuel in the engines is the same carbon you first took out of the air through the direct air capture process. And you may have noticed we've uh, recently formed a great partnership with a company out of Canada called Carbon Engineering that really is at the leader, uh, at the, the, the forefront of direct air capture. And they're our partner now developing this fuel for the AS2. This is game changing. I mean, it can, it's completely game changing. It really is. It's, 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 it's a combination of really two revolutions. One is uh, high speed, supersonic, world, uh, global range mobility. And the other one is revolutionary new fuels and combining these two things together in our generation. And all of that's coming together inside of the AS2, which is our, again, really, really proud. It's our first launch product. And we're excited about the things that come next. What comes next? Uh, AS3. <laughs> we're really excited. We, we put together what we call Arion 2050. Uh, and you can imagine it's a 30-year plan uh, where the first set of products are using engineered hydrocarbon chains. Uh, we're looking deeply into hydro, hydro, uh, hybrid electric and then full electrification. And then obviously moving on to hypersonics. And ultimately, hypersonics is what gets us to connecting any two points on the, on the planet in three hours. And we're looking at a, at a, at a number of engine choices and fuel choices. Uh, and in the future, we'll be announcing what we think those are. But we think we're coming up with some pretty creative ideas. And when you start to develop this, do you have to build out your infrastructure for the synthetic fuels? And do you have to build terminals of where these private jets will land to ensure that let's call it the, the Arion customer experience where they're not going through all the, the ups and downs of your typical travel experience? Yeah, we're, we're building out the entire ecosystem. And uh, it, it's, it's a very insightful question you have. So we think about it's not just from a FBO or an airport to an airport. Yes, I have to stand, also stand back and think about if I'm saving several hours from New York to, to London, but what if it takes me an hour and a half to get from Midtown to the to Teterboro? Uh, and the same on the other side, or, uh, into downtown London. So we, we're forming relationships with EVTOL companies. We actually think some of the early adopters of EVTOL will be same, some of the same customers for AS2. 
because they're, they're focused on saving that time. Uh, the way that we think about carbon engineering. Uh, carbon engineering, the approach to direct air capture, we can put those fuel facilities anywhere in the, in the world. And so that they, they, they have the ability to be located at the right FBOs. Uh, so that's another thing that we're building out. We're thinking about FBOs completely differently. Where do they need to be located? Uh, again, thinking about a truly luxury uh, experience from the point of, of departure all the way through point of destination and everything in between. The global piece with AS2, uh, the urban pieces through eVTOLs, the way that we think about the fuel distribution and commercialization. Uh, we're thinking about building that entire ecosystem uh, in addition to building a game-changing supersonic business jet. You're right about building the ecosystem, and I'll share a quick story with you. So I flew from JFK to Cairo, and the hotel that we stayed at was very kind, and there was a gentleman on the tarmac with our name and took us right through one car into another car, and our luggage met us there. But to get from the Cairo airport to our hotel was almost two hours in traffic. And so, if, you know, and we're, we're flying commercial, but if I can fly an AS2, land there, hop on an EVTOL, and get to our hotel, it's completely game-changing how much time it saves changes everything um yep yeah it's and so we had um on a previous podcast we had mark moore uh who talked about his nasa puffin paper he's now heading the uber elevate strategy for ev tall do you see do you see the ev tall going so you pick up your um customer at their house take him to an ev tall port and then to an fbo and then on the as2 or do you see it um how do you kind of see the whole journey going yeah, let's say you're a, a, a customer that's in the you know, top of a, a, a tower in downtown San Francisco and uh, you, you have uh, a, a meeting in London or Beijing or, or Singapore. Uh, we actually will pick you up, connect you at your point of departure, whether that's at the top of the tower in San Francisco or at your house in the Hamptons and ensure that from that point of pickup, to the FBO, onto the AS2, uh, all the way to meeting either your point of destination, your clients, whatever it is you want to do on the other end. What we're thinking about with Arion Connect is that entire travel experience. Again, that's why we call it point to point. Uh, point of your departure, wherever that might be, through your point of destination. And the airplane we're, that we, we are launching, obviously, with is the AS2. And that saves an enormous amount of time. Uh, and then some days we think about where we go with hypersonics. The entire length of that travel will be three hours or less. So you're clearly bringing back the golden age of flying. Absolutely. It's not just uh, going fast. It is the experience once again. It's the joy of travel. Uh, it's the experience of travel. You know, not only have we gone back in speed in terms of commercial aviation, uh, but the experience... You're right. The, 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 it's not the same as it was in the in the golden age, and so we were thinking about all pieces: speed, luxury, experience, bringing all that back together for our customers. And what will the experience be for your customers when they're on an AS2? Will they have them fitted um, and customize the interiors the way that they wanted to, or can you talk about what the interior experience will be like? Yeah, we we offer a, a, a what will appear to be almost an infinite kind of uh, customization inside the airplane. Obviously, the honest use of, of materials and craftsmanship, uh, colors, uh, textures, layouts, 
What we also offer our customers, and this is a big, again, goes back to the ethos of the company, is, is picking materials that come from recycled uh, materials. The same high quality, same luxury feel. Uh, so we offer our customers that as well. But it's also, again, this will be the quietest cabin in history, have the lowest cabin pressure altitude in history. The ability to immerse yourself in uh, high definition audio and video, to uh, have large parts of the cabin walls turn into big OLED screens, this digital connection in life. The way that you connect right now, I'm sure when you walk into your home, the way you connect to your audio, the way you use voice and gestures to control things in your, in your, in your house, uh, that's all gonna happen inside of the AS2. When you drive up to the AS2, your R, you, you will enter into the geofence around the airplane and the airplane will know it's you coming on board and already start setting things up to the way you like them, just like your house does today. I'm, I'm sitting here smiling because I'm a big fan of the innovation that the Pencil Hotel Group based out of Hong Kong does. And so when, when you check in, they know the temperature, you like yeah. the room, the bottle water, and it's all manual, but you're completely automating this experience, right. which is just, it's game changing. It, your phone becomes your fob. I mean, do you have this seamless experience? And it's the care of knowing you. It's, and it's the, they care about you. And so they take this one step further in ensuring that you have a personal experience. And then they duplicate that hundreds, if not thousands of times a day. And then they have loyal, loyal customers. Yes. Which you'll soon to have, yes. have many of those same customers. Exactly. I'm a, I'm a passenger flying um, on the jet and we're, at, we're going over the pond and we're at supersonic. Will I feel any different than going on a traditional commercial airliner flying across the pond? No. You'll just, uh, you know, we'll have a, a, a probably a cool display, you know, integrated with all of the other, you know, digital walls inside the airplane that'll tell you the Mach number, and uh, you know, we'll we'll make sure you 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 know you're traveling at a thousand miles an hour, but you won't feel anything. It, it just it'll be just harmony, uh, quiet. You'll be listening to your favorite music or enjoying even probably a live concert, uh, but you won't have a sensation of speed. So today you're clearly focused on the business and luxury markets. As the technology matures, the company expands. Will you branch out into other markets, or will you stay completely focused on this niche? No, we tend to branch out. We uh, our, our focus is to disrupt every segment of aviation. We're going to obviously learn a lot uh, by coming into the general aviation space. We understand the market. We understand the customers. We'll learn the technologies. And as we can reliably increase our speed and the size of the airplane and doing it, doing it responsibly, which to us means in a carbon neutral way, then uh, in our plan, in that 2050 plan I talked about, we enter into the supersonic airliner business. Uh, and then ultimately we transition both business jets and commercial supersonics uh, into uh, hypersonics. Uh, but we also think there's gonna be a growing part of the market that will want to be in all electric supersonic airplanes. And that's also in our roadmap. All electric, no synthetic fuels, no bio, just completely all electric. All electric. That's the hardest problem we face. Harder than hypersonics. And it's not just, I mean, it's very interesting because it's not just the battery technology, the energy source. And uh, it's not just getting to lithium air and getting to lithium air reliably in terms of cycles. It's thermodynamics. It's, it, it's what do you do with six and a half megawatts of waste heat? Where do you dump it? You can't dump it in the fuel. There is no fuel. How do you do CG management? 
you know, on the AS2 and the Concorde, we move fuel around to manage the CG when we come in and out of supersonic flight. If it's just batteries, how do you do that? It's, it's so fantastically hard that we had to take it on. Oh, you sure do like a challenge. Yeah, that's one, I tell you. That's a hard one. It, yeah. We might be at this a while. <laughs> <laughs> I wish you a lot of luck with it. I'm really fascinated by your supersonic airliner business quote that you mentioned. You're truly building, I don't see an aircraft company. I see, and you said it earlier in this interview, I see a mobility company. We are. That you're really, truly trying to redefine mobility. And it, it, it's, it's probably a nuance to some, clearly not to you. Uh, we, we pride ourselves that we are a high-tech company looking at how to revolutionize through you know, the way we think about the digital domain and how to equate uh, uh, aircraft and aerospace. But I like to say we're not a high-tech company focused on aerospace. We truly are a high-tech company that wants to revolutionize mobility and build out the next generation of global high-speed networks. I mean, the ones we're flying on today are the ones we invented in the 1950s. That's the ones we're flying on. And we want to change that. And as a consumer, you're great because you're going once you commercialize your product and, and your customers start flying around, you're going to force other companies to innovate into this whole sector. Hopefully we can have revitalization of this sector. Absolutely. You know, we, um, People have asked me why, and I'll explain it maybe with you again here. When we come out of the AS2 flight test program, we will have the largest database of, of flight testing of, certificated, uh, of certific uh, certified synthetic fuels. Five flight test airplanes will be flying on different blends, uh, all the way from 20% to 100%. Uh, we'll be flying on biofuels, director capture fuels, municipal solid waste fuels. And over that two-year flight test program, five airplanes, a, a, a wide spectrum of fuel types and fuel blends, Arion will have the largest database anywhere in the world of synthetic fuels. And you would think that that would be highly competitive and closely held. Arion intends to release it to the entire world. Why? We believe in two things. We believe in we have to do things for our planet that helps protect our environment. We want to be the leader that shows other aerospace companies that they truly can get off fossil-based fuels. And by sharing the data, we hope to accelerate the transition from fossil fuels to synthetic fuels. We also think that it's the ability to spur innovation again. There, there's sort of been this talk that, that in the aerospace world, there's sort of been this lack of innovation. And I think on the civilian side, there has been. I mean, we stopped innovating on speed in the 1960s. Uh, and we'd like to, to show that aerospace is the birthplace of innovation once again. Why did we stop innovating around speed in the 60s? So I, I, I honestly can't give you a good answer. I think that the, the challenges were hard uh, in the civil side. Uh, I think that we were confronted with, well, how were we going to solve the noise problem? Uh, how do you build an airplane that has to have that level of, of installed thrust when it's flying supersonically? What do you do with that thrust when you're taking off and landing? How do you deal with the noise? How do you build an aircraft, an, an engine that doesn't require afterburners? Right? I mean, think about it. AS2 is the first aircraft 
that will be a a aircraft entered into the marketplace that flies supersonically with zero afterburners. There's no afterburners on this airplane. I mean, you hear about super crews where uh, you know a military aircraft at certain times of its float profile can fly supersonically without the engagements of its afterburners. We don't have afterburners. So we fly in a super cruise mode for 4,200 nautical miles at 1.4 Mach. So in the 1960s, 70s, and I guess 80s and beyond, uh, nobody took on that challenge to figure out how to do that. Uh, new materials uh, science have, have come along. But I think it's just uh, the industry, again, on the commercial side, just started to focus on how to make subsonic airplanes quieter, subsonic airplanes, uh, you know, longer range, uh, start to think about how to get revenue, more dollars per seat installed in the airplane, uh, started to, to think about how to dense pack the seats. And, and, and on the uh, uh, general aviation side, uh, again, it's just more range and more seating capacity. And it's, it's interesting, you know, you look at some of the airplanes in the general aviation side today, they have seating for up to 19 people in one of those airplanes. But the, the loadout, the average loadout of a business jet, we did a FOIA request, so we looked at all this data, the average loadout inside of a business jet is less than four people. So we looked at this very differently. We think customers in the general aviation space, they buy business jets to save time, but yet the innovation has been on the last 1% of range or on additional seating capacity that's never used. Our approach has been around speed. You're right about saving time, and he got a lot of slack for it, but David Solomon, the CEO of Goldman Sachs Command, said, we bought two jets because we need to save time for our bankers to get around the globe to close deals. So you're, you're right about speed. And I want to go back to, to, the, to the lack of innovation. Do you think that that was partially driven by the policy teams where there's not a federal or international policies regarding supersonic jets? And they're like, no, that's going to be too hard. We don't want to spend our resources on lobbying. We're just going to kind of go this way right up to the finish line where we don't have to engage lobbyists. Well, a, a quick word on, on engaging with governments uh, around supersonics. Arion actually engages in, in a way that ensures that we hold aerospace companies to a very high standard around noise and emissions. We think that drive for us, that drives innovation. We're, we're focused on driving new technical approaches to solving the problem, not just reduce the standard. Uh, so first and foremost, that's our focus. I think coming out of the Concord era, uh, uh, the US you know, put just a, a ban on flying supersonic. You, you know, can't fly above Mach 1. And, and maybe the approach that some companies took, took coming out of the uh, 70s and 80s and experience with Concord was, well, there's a regulation that says you can't fly supersonically, so there's no reason to build supersonic airplanes. Ours is, you look at the routes that people fly in the city pairs, and many, many of them are over water. That's first and foremost. Second of all, we now have the technology that allows us to fly supersonic over land without the boom shaking your house, boom with screws. So we've invented, we've innovated approaches to solve the problem that policies were put in place to prevent companies from violating. We just took a very different approach. And, uh, you know, clearly the technology's evolved, uh, advanced aerodynamics has evolved, 
the way that we bring in, you know, we have a company in, in Palo Alto that does incredible proprietary advanced optimization around aerodynamics and digitalization. Uh, that's been extremely helpful to us. I think it's, it's helped put us in a leadership position. So all that's been very helpful. Uh, very fast turnarounds in the cloud, optimizations that may have taken weeks or months in the past. You know, we're running in hours now. Uh, clearly that's all helped. But it gets back to this fundamental belief about what's impossible. And um, at Arion, we just don't believe anything's uh, impossible. It just takes creativity, ingenuity, and courage. I would take it one step further. It takes leadership. And you're doing a great job leading the company and allowing your colleagues to, to, to innovate. So you should be very, very proud of yourself for that. Well, thank you. I, 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 it's really a great group of people here. And um, th this is not a traditional organization where it's a hierarchy and people report to people. It's, uh, there's a lot of great people. Uh, it, it, the fact the organization is full of nothing but great people. And we pride ourselves on not just having creativity and courage, and, but we're also a, very, a group that, that is empathetic and, and collaborative. And uh, we work well together. So uh, it's, not just, it's not just me. It's, there's 150 people here that really do believe and are changing the world because we believe in it. And I'm really excited. Um, I'm a Florida resident, and you're uh, recently announced you moved the Aryan Park to Melbourne, Florida. So we yeah. cannot wait to welcome your innovative culture to to build the future here in Florida. And I got to ask for a sneak peek. What are your plans for Aryan Park? We know you're going to build really cool stuff, but can you kind of share your vision for what you're going to build here? Well, we will be building the AS2. And first of all, it's a very unique park. I've wanted to build the Aryan Park for my entire career. It is a, uh, first of all, it's built to the highest environmental standards. Again, part of who we are. It's going to, it's the design center, the test center, the manufacturing center, the completion centers for all AS2. We believe that there is going to be a very significant military derivative business that we have uh, based upon the AS2. Uh, and uh, we look forward to uh, designing the AS3 uh, at Arion Park. So Arion Park is our home. Everything Arion does, all of our designs, that is the home in which we'll do it. Well, we can't wait for you to, to, to build it here in Florida. And as you're coming to Florida and you've seen the revitalization of the Space Coast with Blue Origin and SpaceX, what do you think the overall future of the aerospace industry is? Uh, in general or in, uh, in Melbourne, in the Space Coast? Um, I would say in general, because um, you just have this incredible view from your, from your long storied career. I, I've always believed that aerospace w was a birthplace of innovation, I, and I deeply believe it. I, it's incredible what's happening in our industry. Uh, the commercialization of space. You know, I've been in, in, invited to many of the launches and just, you know, watching uh, SpaceX, you know, take, take astronauts to the station, you know, come back and land on the pad, its rocket, uh, uh, seeing the things that are happening in the Space Coast and aerospace, coming down there and being part of the supersonic revolution. Uh, it, it, it's truly amazing. Knowing what, you know, we never can talk about, what's happening on the defense side and some of just incredible breakthroughs in technologies. Uh, the other one that's really exciting is the breakthroughs in autonomy and converging with AI that, uh, again, in our generation, it won't be just really sophisticated aircraft that have the ability to 
to, to self-land, but it's having systems that are self-aware of, of what their mission is. Yeah, th those are really excitements. But again, I go back to maybe where I started. And uh, this, is, this is the industry. Aerospace will be the industry that discovers the beginnings of the universe. Uh, and if there's life out there, we're the industry that'll find it. Tom, this has been a wonderful interview. And as we look to wrap it up, what advice would you have for a young engineer who wants to get into the aerospace industry? Well, but first of all, I, I, I would say that you... You have to do something that you truly love, uh, the, the thing that, that you just can't wait to get up in the morning and go do. You want to surround yourself with people that will truly challenge the way you think about things. I encourage people to, to, to think about surrounding themselves with incredible, diverse talent, again, that will challenge the way you think about uh, solving problems, approaching problems. Uh, looking at different ways of doing things. And I would just, uh, I, I would join a revolution, join a team that truly wants to make a difference, that truly wants to change the world and be a positive voice and positive actions. And as we heard here, Arion clearly wants to change the world. And Arion is, is not just an aircraft company. Arion is a supersonic mobility company with extremely high environmental standards. So Tom, thank you so much for coming on the SAE podcast and sharing your wonderful insight and wisdom with us. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure talking with you today and stay safe. You as well. Thank you. Thank you for listening to SAE's Tomorrow Today podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please kindly rate it, share your feedback, we love comments, and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. For more information on SAE and SAE podcast, be sure to visit sae.org forward slash podcast and follow SAE on social media at SAEINTL on Twitter and Instagram and at SAE International on Facebook and LinkedIn. SAE International makes no representations as to the accuracy of the information presented in this podcast. The information and opinions are for general information only. SAE International does not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, product, process, service, or organization presented or mentioned in this podcast.